Hi everyone, this is Yin and welcome to Growth From Failure. I wanted to create this show to highlight extraordinary people that inspire and motivate me to level up, but with a slight twist. I'll have conversations with people from a variety of professions, from investors to entrepreneurs to educators to athletes, because I enjoy hearing a really good success story from any discipline. But I wanted to view their story more through a lens of struggle or hardship and even failure. Because for me, the biggest lessons learned and opportunities to grow aren't from the wins or triumphs, but from the setbacks and defeat. So instead of reviewing their highlight reel with all the success and accomplishments, we'll talk about some of the bloopers that includes the mistakes and the rocky roads, which can be glossed over, but oftentimes more impactful to their mindset and success. I hope hearing their journey inspires you to not fear failing, but motivates you to reflect, to keep learning, and ultimately to keep growing. This is the story of Serena Roberts-Houlihan, CEO and co-founder of Loren, a mission-led company that provides amazing care packages curated by women for all of life's challenges. In this episode, we discuss Serena's journey as a retail executive turned entrepreneur. And it was in 2009 when Serena lost her mother to glioblastoma after just eight months from the diagnosis. And the impact of this loss early in her life had stayed with her and inspired her as well as her co-founder to create a company that honors their mother's battles with cancer. Their passion and mission in this company is to help women feel loved and cared for and seen when they're at their most vulnerable. And I wanna share that I was very lucky to receive a Loren Care package about two years ago now during the early parts of COVID when I was feeling so overwhelmed and I was balancing work and the elementary schools near us had closed because of COVID and so my kids were at home doing their virtual learning. It was a mess and it was for so many people but I had shared with a friend just this level of stress like I've never experienced before. And so in the mail comes this beautiful box that when I opened it up had this instant sense of serenity for me. And it was given to me by a dear friend who didn't know what to do, but wanted to send some love. And I just thought it was perfect. And you'll hear Serena say that her love language is giving. And I think it's very clear. She has a very powerful ability to understand as a deep empath how to help. So whether it's from a loss of cancer that she's experienced or from a lot of the moms we know that experience postpartum depression or this heightened level of stress and anxiety that many of us feel post-pandemic, Serena created a compassionate commerce business for when you want to send some love to someone but feel helpless and don't know how, Serena's been there and she knows exactly how to help. In this interview, I hope you agree with me and, and love Serena for similar things I do, including her sense of humor, her sense of self-awareness and her priorities and also her ability to see beauty in the moment, even when there is pain. Please enjoy this interview with the incredibly compassionate entrepreneur, Serena Roberts-Houlihan. Serena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining. And I was so looking forward to this conversation. I wanna say a big, big thank you to Michael Reddy, our mutual friend who connected us. Yes. Such a gem of a human. I have to share with our listeners, the first exposure I had to Serena was May of 2020, a couple months into COVID. And I was just in tears. And I was just at my wits end because I was working full time. I had my kids at home and there was no school. And I was sharing with Michael. I just was so overwhelmed and I didn't know what to do. And this beautiful box arrived 
the next week from Loren. And I didn't know what it was. And I was blown away by what was inside. It was beautiful smells. It was a mask. It was a puzzle. It gave me such peace. And there was this beautiful journal called Calm the Chaos. And it was exactly what I needed at that moment. And I've used it every day since. It felt so chaotic in my life. And so this beautiful gift box that I couldn't describe how that meant to me at that moment. And I didn't even know how stressed I was until I opened that box and the relief set in. So anyways, that was my first exposure to Loren. I really want to share with our listeners how you came up with the business and all the beautiful things about it. But first, if you don't mind, my listeners know that I like to rewind everyone's highlight reel all the way back. And so before we start talking about the business, can you share with our listeners more about you and starting with where you grew up? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for that kind feedback on your Loren gift box, because that's obviously our entire intention in the business. And we'll obviously get into more of that later. But I am a native New Yorker. I had the good fortune to be born in Manhattan in the early 80s and spent my almost entire life there until about six years ago when my husband and I moved to Houston, Texas. So now I'm a (laughs) Texan-ish. Quite a change. But I have such a wonderful place in my heart for New York, and I still miss it every day. It's been through so much, as we all have in the last two years, but it's rebounding, which is wonderful. So I have a wonderful older brother. He's only 18 months older than me. So the great joke was that we were basically like twins, which is hilarious now because I actually have twins of my own. But yeah, my brother and I are very close. And then obviously my mom and my dad. So it was just an all-American nuclear family. It was the four of us against the world. And very fortunate to have a very loving, happy, seemingly stress-free family life. It just had such a charmed childhood. I always like to ask people before they get into their professional path, what college they went to and why, because I'm just so intrigued by that decision-making process. And also really it sets people off in their first career, but how did you pick your college and why? I went to Brown, which my parents met at Brown when they were 20 years old and got married while they were still there. My uncle went there. Lots of family members had gone there. So it was one of these schools that loomed large in family storytelling tradition. But I was determined not to go there (laughs) because I was going to strike out on my own and do my own thing. And then I did agree, okay, we'll visit it. And I felt so immediately at home there and at peace there. I thank God I got in because it was absolutely the right place for me. And I just loved it so much. Brown's a very unique school because it has the open curriculum. So I was a pretty focused student and I knew more or less what I was wanting to do. The irony of that is it completely changed four years later. But anyway, that really spoke to me as well. And then Providence, those of you who don't know it, is just an absolute jewel of a city, a great place to go to college too, because it's big enough, there's stuff to do, but it's not the star of the show. Like you still want to be on campus and be a part of the college community. So Yeah, Brown was just an amazing experience for me. And I think it was fun for my parents to come visit us. And they would always, oh, this is where we live. And this is where we had our first kiss. And I'd be like, oh, my God, stop it. I'm mortified. But in hindsight, it's lovely that we had that time there. And so what did you decide to study in your first job out of college? So I studied political science. That's what I majored in, which in hindsight makes absolutely no sense. Because I think I wanted to be a lawyer at the time. And that seemed like a logical path. And then go to law school, which is hugely comical to people who know me. because. I might have been an okay lawyer, but I certainly would not have enjoyed it, I don't think. And I took probably more history classes than actually poli-sci classes. So clearly I should have been majoring in that. But what I ended up doing professionally had no bearing in either of those disciplines at all. And that is the beauty, of course, of a liberal arts school. It's not a vocational school, so you can kind of do whatever you want, unless you're going to be a doctor or an engineer or something, which I clearly was not going to be. But I remember Bloomingdale's coming on campus 
when we were seniors during the job fairs. All the consulting firms were there, all the investment banks, the Peace Corps. And then I was like, is anything else available to me? I'm so confused. So then Bloomingdale's came on campus and I grew up not too far from Bloomingdale's 59th Street in New York. So I obviously knew Bloomingdale's, but I was like, to be a buyer is a job. They pay you to do this. I don't understand. So I applied to that program, didn't actually get it, but I ended up starting after graduation at Saks Fifth Avenue and their buyer's training program. So same principle. Honestly, I'm so lucky that I fell into the magical world of retail merchandising right after school because it is so a thousand percent what I was meant to do. And I know so many friends who it's really taken them a while to find their paths professionally because it's not clear when you graduate from school or even when you're in college, what are all the less well-known professional paths that are available to you? I simply got lucky, but it has paid off in spades and I've loved it since day one. So that worked out well. I've heard about you through the years, and this started two decades ago when you and Michael had met initially in the retail industry. But for those who don't know, and I didn't, and Michael says I'm the most fashion backwards person that he has ever known, but I didn't know the world and the labyrinth of retail in terms of the fashion side, which is the only thing I thought I knew, and then the merchandising side. The business analytics is super interesting, but if you could give a quick summary of the merchandising side. Oh, I'd love to. I think it actually really is important for people to be aware that this career path is available because... It's highly creative, but it's also you're running a business. So for me, it was amazing because you're constantly going left brain, right brain, left brain, right brain all the time. And it's very strategic. But again, it's also very creative. Like you were literally building product and working with fabrics and colors and seasonality. But at the same time, you have to balance the profitability and make sure you're sending the right amount of product to the right stores at the right time, at the right price. I mean, all of the general P's of marketing, they all come into play. And merchants, that's really your main job. But because In a retail environment, everything comes down to the product and the customer and what you're selling, all the other functions in the business. So finance, the stores, operations, marketing, design, merchandising is kind of the hub of everything. And as a very social person, I loved that side of it too, because you are constantly interacting with all these other people and other teams and also having exposure to different sides of the business, which is really cool. And in department store model, at least this was true 20 years ago, I think it's shifted somewhat now. As a buyer, you're buying off of a vendor's line. So when I left Saks, I was in the designer handbag world, which was wonderful. Prada, Gucci. It was fun to go to those markets. But I had no creative impact in what we were seeing. Gucci or Prada did not care what Serena Roberts from Saks thought about the product. This is what you're getting. Figure out how to buy it appropriately for your stores and get on with your day. What took me to Club Monaco and where I met Michael is I wanted to understand the creative side more and how you develop product from just an idea to an actual physical thing and the production cycles and how things actually get manufactured. So that is a more intrinsic part of being a merchant in a vertical company, like a Club Monaco, like a Gap, where I ultimately found myself like a coach to where I was for a long time. And that is really exciting because it's just from idea all the way down through the markdown cycle of something being on the floor. It's hugely challenging, but so fun and so creative at the same time. You've created a company that is so focused and mission-led. Going back to retail a little bit in your time there, how did you feel then? It sounds fun. It sounds both creative and analytical. Were you fulfilled there? Well, I think in the early days, I was learning so much and just adjusting to being a real person, quote unquote, from being a student that it didn't feel like I was missing something. But certainly as I got older and then my mother getting terminally ill, that really changed the paradigm and perspective shift for me. And as much as I loved creating product and selling people things they really didn't need, luxury or otherwise, there definitely start to be like, what is all of this for? 
And also retail is an incredibly grueling industry. I think that's always been true, but certainly with all these shifts in the retail landscape in the last 15 years, it's constant. I started to question like, what am I doing? What does all of this mean? And it wasn't only until 18 months ago when we started thinking about Loren that I finally feel like all of these moments in my life have culminated in something that really feels so purposeful and intentional, which is very exciting. I had to go through a lot of stuff to get here, but I'm glad to have finally arrived. Absolutely. So you had mentioned it. Maybe I could ask you to expand on it in terms of the part of that transformation. But can you share really the start of your mom's cancer journey? Because I think that was the start of that. It was around my 25th birthday that she got diagnosed with breast cancer. And obviously, anytime a family member falls ill, especially a very serious disease, it's devastating and scary. But my mom and I were like, and I'm, I'm sorry if I get teary, she and I were like best friends at the same time. I think about this now with my own daughter. We really just had the perfect mother-daughter relationship. I don't remember ever fighting with her. I told her everything. We did everything together. It might have bordered on unhealthy. I don't know. But anyway, we were just like two peas in a pod. And as I mentioned, our childhood was pretty serene, for lack of a better word, and content. And we had no real hardship until that moment. But she was a very strong-willed woman. Like, F cancer. (laughs) It's not going to take me down. She had a radical mastectomy. Best surgeon in New York. Boom, boom. We're done. Okay, it's over. Thank God. And I swear, she never looked better after she recovered from her mastectomy. She had this glow about her. It was like she just entered this whole other chapter of her life. But unfortunately, that Christmas, she had these weird visions. And I remember sitting in our living room with her looking at the tree and she was like, what's in the corner? And I'm like, nothing. Nothing's in the corner. It turned out that she was actually having visions. We took her into the ER and had an MRI. And then we found out through a couple of tests later that she had a terminal brain cancer called glioblastoma that had metastasized from the breast cancer a few months earlier. So that was horrible. (laughs) I honestly can't articulate the depth of misery that that brought upon all of us. It's one of those things too, where you don't think it could ever happen to you. And I was always a huge empath, sympathetic to things that were happening to other people, but it was hard for me to imagine them happening to me. And then of course, when this did happen, it was just hugely traumatizing and devastating. And then glioblastoma, for those of your listeners that don't know it, generally progresses incredibly quickly. I think the average life expectancy is a year, but she was gone in eight months. So it all happened so quickly too. So in that moment, and it really felt like a moment, the aftermath was just time for my dad and my brother and I to try to regroup and try to make sense of what had happened. And my dad and my mother had been married since they were 20 years old. He'd never been a grown-up without her, which as a grown-up now, that's insane to imagine, right? So we were all just reeling uncontrollably from that. And I think in some ways, frankly, we still are. It's probably worth noting because people assume that this type of really intense grief lifts after a year or two, but that has not been my experience at all. Now it's been over 15, close to 20 years, but rewinding a little bit, how did you go back to your normal day-to-day? Then the retail world, which you alluded to not being as purposeful for you at the moment, but how did that transition for you? So I took some time off from work. I left Club Monaco and went and lived with my dad. The guy I was dating lived with at the time we broke up. I mean, it was just like everything that could have fallen apart, fell apart. Obviously, my mother being the biggest moment in that. There was a real reckoning time, I think. So after I came up for air a little bit with my dad and he insisted that I get back into my life, I started working at Coach and found a lot of comfort in work, frankly, and my new team and the business that we were building there, the men's business. Honestly, I think I worked probably 100 hours a week. 
I was manic, but I didn't realize it then. I just needed to be busy and constantly preoccupied and feel like I was doing something that was productive. My mother was a bit of a workaholic as well. So I think I was kind of channeling that energy because it was comforting in a way, if that makes sense. Socially, I was completely overscheduling myself. I mean, I never wanted to be alone. And that was just my way of dealing with not wanting to sit with what I was feeling. But I was in Soho near one of my best friend's apartment. And I had this weird amount of time between leaving the office and meeting someone else for dinner. Maybe it was a date. I don't know. And I called her and I was like, I'm downstairs. Do you have 30 minutes? And she's like, 30 minutes to do what? And I was like, well, I have to go out to dinner, but if you want to hang out, just no, I don't want to hang out with you for 30 minutes. What are you talking about? Are you okay? Why can't you just go to McNally Jackson and go browse books for 30 minutes? So I'm like, oh, well, okay. I just couldn't conceive of being alone for any period of time. That was probably not the healthiest way to deal with it, but it's how I found my way through the intermittent years following her death. And then I met my husband, which definitely helped a lot, I think, just balance what the future could look like for us. How long from when your mom passed did you meet your husband? It was about three years. So I don't know if he would agree with this, but hopefully I'd gotten the craziness out of me by then. But yeah, it was about three years after she passed that I met him. And it was so funny because I just remember he actually reminds me a lot of her. And I remember thinking when I met him, like she was somehow involved in this blind date situation. So very happily married now. We have three children. So it was this moment where it was like, okay, there's a future here. And there's a light at the end of this tunnel, which was hugely cathartic in a lot of ways and helped, I think, helped me think about my life, not just personally, but also professionally a little bit differently, which was a huge blessing. For those who are listening and sharing either the part of the pain from grief or other things, you had mentioned that before you met Tony, you feel like you got those out. How did you do that? Was it time? Was there certain things you did? Was it therapy? But if there's anything to share of how to get out of that? That's a great question. I definitely went into therapy and needed it desperately. In my experience, when like cataclysmic things happen, you just don't feel like yourself. I felt so dissociated from my own body. So part of that was time passing. Part of it was I started doing yoga very seriously. I started running more. I'd always been a big athlete. So connecting to my breath in that way was really helpful. I had a new job. I was working in a new company. So there was this whole other world that was developing that was new and didn't necessarily remind me of before mom died, which was also helpful in a way. So it was all of those things in combination, but probably to your point, time passing was the most useful, but I really started to feel a little bit more like myself again. I don't know how you feel about postpartum, but there's a period after you have a child And it's sort of an indefinite period some days where you don't feel like yourself anymore. It's such a transformation. So again, it's like these big life moments, you have to kind of come back to yourself, regroup, and then you're able to move forward. Thank you for sharing. I've been sharing both with colleagues and and girlfriends. I think many working moms I know have all experienced a heightened level of anxiety and then COVID really amplified that quite a bit. And it has just been easier to share that and say it takes a lot of wine for me and just sharing that with my village. And so that ecosystem has really been a, a nice support network. So fast forward to today, you have this beautiful business, but when did Loren come into concept and how did you think about it? Well, I always knew I wanted to have my own business. I had these little stirrings of entrepreneurship my whole life, but I never had a business concept crystallized. So I wasn't just going to open a boutique. I could not do that. No shame to those who do. It just wasn't connecting to me. And then obviously this turning point in my life with my mother's passing. And I remember thinking it was kind of like my narrative character arc. This is either going to make me or break me. 
And it came very close, frankly, to breaking me. But luckily, we were able to steer into a more positive territory. But I kept working in retail. And up until two years ago, I was working in fashion. But unfortunately, must be two and a half years ago now, my stepmother-in-law in London was diagnosed with glioblastoma, which in and of itself is incredibly rare. And then for our family to have two instances of this, and she and I were very close as long as I'd known her. She's just a wonderfully gregarious woman, hugely accomplished in her field, such a loving presence. So that was devastating. It obviously brought back a lot of horrible memories. In the time that I was processing her diagnosis, I wanted to send her something. My love language is giving. I'm a product person. It's an occupational hazard, right? So here we are. And I knew what she needed because my mother had been through the same thing. So I went and looked Google cancer care packages, and there were some out there, but this was a woman who shopped at Harvey Nichols and Harrods, and she had exceptional taste. And I wasn't going to send her something that we could find at CVS. No offense to CVS, but like that just wasn't how she and I related to each other. So I went out and I bought all the stuff that I thought that she would want and need. And I created my own. And in a sense, that was the first Loren care package. Through some other circumstances, the company I was working for down here went out of business. I became pregnant with the twins. I had the twins. Houston is not a retail mecca. There weren't a lot of executive level merchandising roles out there. So my partner, Amanda, and I started building the business plan, concepting everything. And then COVID happened. (laughs) So that slowed us down a little bit because all of a sudden my three-year-old was home with me all day with the twins. And that was chaotic to say the least. But eventually we found our footing and we were able to launch the Ren. Now it's been a little over a year. But as I was shopping the idea around to family and friends, they all just said, I can't believe this doesn't exist. How does this not exist? At the beginning, it was really focused on cancer care and how you give something meaningful, useful, and beautiful, luxurious to someone who's going through cancer. But as the concept sort of started to evolve, I'm very passionate about postpartum care because I feel like I really went through it (laughs) with my two various pregnancies. And I know almost all of my friend circle also had really challenging experiences with it. So we wanted to have postpartum as part of it. Amanda had several surgeries of her own. Instead of sending some flowers, imagine sending them something really beautiful, but also useful while they're recovering. So it snowballed now into essentially whenever women feel they're most vulnerable is where we want to be able to help bridge loved ones together through really beautiful, useful gifts. So cancer is a huge part of our business, obviously cancer care. And it's very close to our hearts. Amanda's mother is a breast cancer survivor and is actually now fighting pancreatic cancer. Postpartum is huge and loss is a really big part of our business as well, because I think it's all these moments where you just don't know how to help someone, but you know, you want to, and unless you've gone through it yourself, it can be very tricky and scary to know what to give someone. So we've just done all that vetting for you, not just through our own personal experience, but we do a lot of surveys and make sure we're really covering all the bases, but the product is also really beautiful because we believe in the power of aesthetics as well. So that's kind of how it all came together. Oh, I could attest to the power of the beauty. It also is you have a lot of items with scents. And I remember literally opening up the box and the aroma that came out was like going to the spot. Our listeners can't see it, but in your background, you have this beautiful logo of Loren. Can you share with the listeners what Loren is or how the name came about? Sure. It's probably one of my favorite parts of our business. So my mother's name was Ren, R-E-N, Rennie, really. Amanda's mother's name is Gretchen Lee. So Lee Ren. And then my stepmother-in-law, who unfortunately has passed away now, was Lorraine. So you take all of these influences and inspirations, 
Loren. Then what's fascinating to me is Ren, the bird, W-R-E-N, is actually in many cultures known as a little caretaking spirit, a helper spirit. So between the bird, our mothers, my stepmother-in-law, it's just this amazing combination of meaning and poignancy that we were like, okay, well, check, check. This is the brand. <laughs> this is a name. We can't do better than this. This is everything. And then also that notion of a bird carrying your love to someone else. It's this box in flight to help a loved one who needs a little extra support and love during a challenging time. People can't see you, but the moment you start talking about the business and how it's evolved, incorporating all these things in your life, you feel your sense of fulfillment in building this. And it seems like this is your call. It's so funny you say that because I was thinking earlier, it's such a labor of love. I love that we are helping other people. And that is obviously the mission of the business, but it has helped me a lot too in processing the grief that still is with me about my mom and being able to make sense of what happened to her and Lori in a way that is productive and helps other people instead of just having to sit with it on my own. And the messages we get from customers, because running a small business is really hard. <laughs> it's very different than corporate life. There's a lot that we don't know that we're trying to figure out and it just do well by our customers and make the business as strong as we can. But there are moments where I really struggle with like, what are we doing? And then I get these notes in my inbox from customers and they just make me sob hysterically because I know we're resonating. Yes, this is a service that the world needs. We just need to keep pushing. It makes me very proud and happy that we're trying to make a go of it. Does any of the proceeds go to a cancer-related foundation or anything like that? That's a great question. So on our site, you can donate to the National Brain Tumor Society. And throughout the course of the year, we do have special give back events where a portion of proceeds will go either to the National Brain Tumor Society. We're now also connected to Living Beyond Breast Cancer, which is an amazing organization that helps support women going through breast cancer and beyond in their survivorship. One of the young advocates, Carrie Bessie for LBBC, curated a special box for women going through breast cancer. So that is on the site. During October, we were giving 20% of the proceeds to LVBC, but now we've just extended it indefinitely because I just think it's such an amazing mission. We want to support them. So that's something that's ongoing. What I love about our business too, I think of it as like compassionate commerce, is that we're able from the very beginning of the business to develop these give back moments within the business model. You don't have to retrofit them back into the profit margins. No, this was our intention from day one. And if we make a shorter margin on something, I don't care. It's helping people. So that's what matters. So we're always looking for more opportunities to partner with charitable organizations to make sure we're really having an impact beyond the immediate gift recipient. Love that. Compassionate capitalism. I haven't heard that yet, but I'm going to Signal that just to you. That's coined right here. Oh, good. I may have stolen it from someone. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but anyway, that's what we're channeling in the building of Loren. Well, if it's okay with you, I would like to pivot to the questions I ask everyone on the show. Yeah, of course. Starting with who or what inspires you? As my daughter likes to tell me, inspiration is everywhere, which is for a five-year-old quite a deep thought. But it is true. And I desperately feel that. And being a very creative person, design forward person, from an artistic standpoint, I do see it everywhere. I'm very inspired by home design. There are a few people in that space that I'm obsessively following on Instagram for my own personal creative outlet. But then in terms of individuals, just in life, I mean, my mother is clearly a driving force and will always be in my life. And she was an incredibly successful executive. She was one of the most senior people at American Express for 20 years as a woman in a time when that was not a common thing. And 
as a mother, I never felt like she wasn't around for me. So her ability to manage both of those is a huge inspiration to me now, as I just say, parent my three little people and try to make a go of this business. And my dad is also an enormous inspiration. I mean, anyone who knows him knows how hilarious he is, quite a storyteller, but just a really wonderful soul and so supportive of me and our family. So it does seem to always come back to family for us. <laughs> and then I actually, through Loren, have been able to meet a lot of wonderful small business owners, women, and they inspire me regularly. Some of them are vendors on our site. Some of them are just people I've met through the social media connections. And I derive a lot of inspiration from them on a daily basis, just in the way of like living our lives as working mothers or business owners and builders. But inspiration really is everywhere. I just feel like you have to keep your eyes open to it. The way that you describe your mom and also you're a mom now too, those are mom goals, right? The idea is to make your child feel loved, supported. You could have your career, but somehow make them feel that they are supported by you. Those are goals. And it's funny because there's this whole canon around mom guilt. I refuse to play into that just because I never thought it would be impossible to be a successful professional and also be a successful mom because I had my mother as a role model. And thank God I did because I know it's a really hard thing for women to wrap their minds around, right? Um, But yeah, I don't worry about that as much as a lot of other ladies do, which I'm thankful for. Every day is a balance though, let's be honest. It's not like all unicorns and rainbows over here, but. (laughs) Exactly right. So you've had an amazing retail career that really has now transformed into this business. You are a mom of three, including twins, which conceptually I know it's different because moms of multiples or parents of multiples, it's just different. And so (laughs) that's a lot. And started a business and grown it through the pandemic, which is a whole other series of asks. What are you most proud of? I'll tell you what, having the boys, the twins, when your body is capable of creating two humans at the same time, bringing them into the world, they were preemies, but they were healthy. So I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around that this body did that. Almost everything else seems like peanuts in comparison. So that really helped shift my perspective. And that's when I was like, I want to start a business, but I'm afraid to. And it's like, no, you just birthed two humans. Get on with it. It's going to be fine. So I think that really gave me the push. Obviously, I'm very proud of managing twin pregnancy. And it was a high risk one. So it was a very stressful time. But they're here, they're running circles around me all the time. But it was just that extra perspective push on get your business underway. If you're going to do this, this is the time. So I'm proud of myself that we were able to get it out into the world. It's totally terrifying, but it's there now, right? Which is good. And I had this weird milestone in my head. I'm going to be 40 soon. And I was like, I don't want to get to 40 and feel like I didn't do something I wish I had done. I was a big athlete growing up. So there's this whole concept of leave it all on the field or I was a rower, leave it on the water. And I feel that way in my life now too. Let's just do that. Let's get everything out that we can do what you can with every day you're given because every day is a gift. But something about the twins coming into the world, like really pushed me into a new domain. It clarified a lot of things for us, which was great. Exhausting, but great. (laughs) More than exhausting. I ask all my guests, just given the name of the show, about their struggles and their growth. But for you, I mean, it's certainly a struggle to have lost your mom at such a young age and the bond that you had with her. So we don't have to go further down there. But I'd love to ask more of what you experienced from that growth. And it wasn't just the business. It wasn't just a stronger motherhood. But if you could share things that you've learned from it with now a lot more reflection or how you've been shaped from it with a lot more time to think about it. 
really truly believe every day is a gift. And what that loss taught me is your life can change in an instant. All of us have gone through the pandemic. All of a sudden, the rug is pulled out from under you and life is very different. So having to be super resilient and agile is no longer a nice to have. It's a must have to survive in this life, no matter what your circumstances are, but to always try to make the most of every day because none of us know how long we're going to be here. And that is something that people say when they're 18 years old, but until something cataclysmic happens to you, I don't think you really get it. And I don't even know if I got it maybe until I became a mother, frankly, everything started to crystallize. But that is a big life lesson for me. And it sounds quite preachy. I hear myself saying it. I'm like, oh God, but it really is true. And so what do you do, maybe not on a day-to-day, but what do you do with a bit more regularity with this insight that you have that is different, you think, from a path of not having that loss exposure? It definitely clarifies priorities and where I spend my time and how I spend it and with whom and what I care about. And I guess even working in fashion, what we used to spend a lot of time thinking about either in our own lives or professionally, I don't really care about anymore. I barely wear any makeup. I mean, I'm not walking around looking like a homeless person. Maybe I am. I don't know. But it's like these things that I used to take very seriously as part of my self-identity have completely shifted. And again, some of it I know is the motherhood of three small children. It's not always time for these things. But my priorities have totally shifted in that respect. And who we do spend time with as a family and personally is something that I'm really conscious of in a way I clearly wasn't after her passing, but even as a young 20 something year old flying around New York all the time, that's been a real shift. And I feel like, again, I'm sort of resurfacing from the postpartum haze now that the boys are two, but I'm trying to reconnect with my own self in a way. It sounds very hokey when I say it that way, but like there's certain moments where I'm like, wait, what are my hobbies? What do I like to do? Because you don't have a lot of time when you have small children and a family and a business, you know, all these things to really think, not selfishly, because it's not selfish, it's really important. So that's now where we're sort of coming up for air a little bit. I'm trying to make sure I carve out time for that because I know that's really important too. But of course, there are only 24 hours in every day. I couldn't agree more. And I still struggle with time management priorities. I'm not sure how to do a lot of things, but it's helpful to hear just those insights, to be honest, because I think the people who seem to be genuinely the most happy are the ones who really don't care about what others think and those perceptions. And it's more of self-awareness seems to be one of the biggest grounding forces. But as it relates to that, this is a new question that you're the first person I'm going to ask this. Ooh, okay. And it's one that I've thought about more recently because it's the idea of success. And I'm curious what success means to you because you worked in an industry of retail and I work in finance, but you can get caught up in a lot of those things, whether it's labels and brands and balance sheets and extra zeros. Some people could very easily say success is a very quantifiable thing. And that's the easiest path out. But I just love your perspective because I feel like you'd have a very thoughtful answer of what does success mean for you? If you asked me this 15 years ago, it would have been a number and it would have been achieving a certain executive level at a certain type of company. And that's that would have been success for me, for sure. Now it's probably more about freedom and freedom of choice and just our values as a family. Obviously, we need to have the personal financial resources to live the kind of lifestyle we want to live, but to also live in a way that honors our family values and where we feel like we're doing the most for our family and our community on a daily basis. And that to me, whenever my time comes, if I can think back to myself and say, this is how I've lived my life, that will be a very successful life. 
and really making sure everyone in our lives, family, and then very close friends feels the love and support from me. Obviously, family is really important. So I think especially in today's world where we're all just sort of trying to find our footing again. But if you can anchor on what that means and how you want to live your life, especially if you're a parent, how you want to parent your children and what kind of life you want for them, that's really important. Great question. (laughs) I was talking about it with my siblings and we're very close and we talk about our goals. And my older brother is a very goal-oriented list person where he has his one-year goal journey and his five-year planner and his 10-year planner. And it's nice to have that as an older brother, but also overwhelming because it's stressful. (laughs) Because he's like, Yinny, what are your goals? I'm like, oh, stop, please. And it's helpful to have someone shape that. But at the same time, it's overwhelming, as you can imagine. And it got to the point of talking about what is success and going to your point of priorities again with this new insight you have where do we spend our time? Because if you think success is based on how much money you have or how many handbags you have or what labels you wear, is that really the way you want to spend your time? And so it really is quite a change of my perspective in ways. I think it's one of those questions like, what do you want to be remembered for? And it really helps crystallize what is important to you. I had read an interview you did, and there was a quote that you had mentioned that is quite impactful to your life. And it was that your story is someone else's survival guide. I'd love to just hear you expand on that because it was a beautiful quote and would love to hear how that impacted you. It always resonated with me because it's as simple as we went through this awful thing. Other people are going through this awful thing. How can I help make that awful thing slightly less awful for them? And the truth of the matter is you probably can't, but trying to is worth its weight in gold, I think. And it's meaningful to as it relates to cancer or postpartum or depression, just for people to know that they're not alone in that journey. And I think that has incredible power from a healing perspective. So as it relates to Loren, it's really the founding tenant of our business. We have been all through these horrible things. Let's try to help others who are going through them at the same time. And at the same time, it may help bring a different level of clarity or reflection to our own experience. And that's definitely happened since we launched been interactions with clients where it's helped reframe something that I experienced with my mom or in my own postpartum journey. And it's helped me a lot work through something. So it's very powerful, I think, as a sentiment. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing. And last question, what's next for Serena Robert-Tulahan? Our goal for Loren is really just helping as many women as we can, as quickly as we can. So there's been a lot of proof in concept in the last year, which has been hugely encouraging. So Amanda and I are working to scale as quickly as we can and make sure while balancing our business objectives that really we're helping as many women as we can at the same time. So on a professional level, that's it. Personal, honestly, I'm just trying to keep my head above water with my three small children. Between the diapers and the cleanup and making sure no one's falling off the stairs, it's just, they keep me on my toes, those three. I reduced one of those by just living in a single story. So then I don't have to worry about fall risk as much. So really, we should have lived in a single story. It's okay. We have baby gates everywhere. But now the boys, they're so strong that they just destroy the baby gates. Anyway, it's a whole other story. Yeah. So we can't really think too far in our future in the family life because we're still very much in the weeds. But at least I can strategize from the business standpoint. When I asked Holly Mandel, who was one of my favorite guests, and she has this beautiful soul, She's an improv specialist and educator. But when I asked her what's next for her, she goes, I'm going to finish my tea. I love that. Then she had more to it. But I love that in the sense of it reminded me to be more present, be aware. And she did it in a really beautiful, comical way. But 
it was as simple as just saying, you know what, I'm just going to finish my tea next. That's awesome. Well, it's kind of like your brother. I get the need for five, 10 year plan goals, but you can't focus on that hundred percent of the time or else you're going to miss the moment. And there's a lot of beauty in the moment. Even if it's painful, there's still beauty in it. Love that. Well, Serena, I had a blast in this interview. Thank you so much. Where can people find out more about Loren? Our website is lorencare.com, L-E-W-R-E-N, care. And then we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Pinterest and LinkedIn. So all the places people like to hang out these days. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was a blast. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on your wonderful podcast. Thank you.